Um, I'm not going to read the whole chapter of, uh, I'm not going to read all of chapter 11. I want to encourage you to go back and really read through all the details, everything that's, that's, that's from the first verse to the last verse in chapter 11. Um, the, the, what, the first slide that's going to be on the screen, this is a, um, an insufficient recap of the major events of what goes on in chapter 11, just to kind of keep um, you and I up to speed on what just happens as a flow. Um, as, as it begins, Jesus gets word that his dear friend Lazarus is sick and about to die. Um, after that, he purposefully, um, which we're going to look in, intentionally at this morning, he purposefully delays going to visit him. Now, in this delay, um, he says some things that almost seem a little bit confusing, but he's very specific, and he clarifies that, that Lazarus's death, um, his sickness is not going to end in his ultimate death at this moment, but it's going to bring people face-to-face with the glory of God in a very specific way. Um, now, um, after Lazarus dies, Jesus goes to Judea. Um, this is a place that he was, he was almost stoned previously. We just left this, this time out of the writing of the book of John. Um, he, he had previously been threatened um, to, unto death, um, but, but he heads back into that. Um, he visits with Mary and Martha, um, taking their frustrations and sharing in their grief. Um, Jesus raises Lazarus, identifying himself as the resurrection. And then ultimately there's, a, there's another plot. Now this begins really... The, the final plot to kill Jesus. So um, John chapter 11 is a, is, is a chapter, if you're kind of tracking with this study through the Gospel of John, chapter 11 is really a key chapter to spend some time on um, in, in studying and, and really reading over and getting some things out of it. Now, in, um, in this chapter 11, there are some specific places that I want for us to go this morning, um, and, and some of this is going um, to just really feel like it shifts gears. Uh, because there are preaching messages that I could do out of the Gospel of John, but I really feel like God has put on my heart is to hit some specific stops um, so that we don't miss some of the major things that we need to grab out of this chapter. Because remember, the heart of the whole Gospel of John, as John was inspired to write, was he says that, I, that I've written the things in this book so that you may believe and that you may be able to go and live a faithful life for Jesus Christ. And that's, the, that's our goal every time we go into the Gospel of John. So God, help me believe in Jesus more and help me live the life for him that you've called me to live. So this is a grief situation um, in the life of this family that Jesus is so close to, um, but this is so intricate in everything that's going on. So, so what I want to go over this morning, hopefully this just maybe even just starts your own personal study this week and just kind of maybe awakens a little bit of a hunger to really want to know more. Um, because one of, one of my heart's desires, um, every time that we leave this room, one of my prayers is always that we just, we love Jesus more. We want more of him. Um, so let's, let's jump in uh, to John chapter 11. Um, in verse 1, it says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, um, and it was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. Now, we don't know, we don't know yet in the Gospel of John that that happened. Does that make sense? I said that twice in a row, and it probably, it, it, it even confused me. The, the events that John just is inspired to write to us is something that we don't know yet if we're reading it ignorantly and haven't heard a bunch of sermons over the course of our life. We don't know yet that this woman was the one that in the future, and as John records it just in the next chapter, 
that sits at the feet of Jesus breaks open an incredibly expensive bottle of perfume, a year's worth of wages, and pours it on his feet and takes her hair and just wipes his feet, cleans his feet with it, anoints his feet. It's an act of just servant, um, uh, it's an act of a servant heart and just absolute love and worship. Now, one of the most amazing things is, as, as John is painting this picture, remember he's, he's painting a picture of Jesus, the detail that he paints in here of, of this one individual, of Mary, it's details that we don't know yet, so, so why is that so important to tell us before this story starts? I believe it is because even in the difficult times of our life, interacting with Jesus, learning to rely on him and living our life for him, growing in intimacy, growing in our faith, is meant not to destroy us even in difficult times. It's meant to draw us closer to Jesus and allow us to be able to worship him more sincerely. What Jesus will do in our lives is always meant to draw us closer to him. Because the, the, the picture that's painted here is, is that her, her life doesn't fall apart because tragedy comes in. That there's always a greater purpose in it. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, um, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. It's very specific. Jesus doesn't have just general love. God doesn't just have general love all over, all over his people. He is specifically in love with you by name. Um, it, it's, it's written this way. When you go back to original language, it, there, there's not just a couple of words that just summarizes general love. It's aimed at each individual person. So if, if you think you're outside of, of the knowledge or the love of God, I, I promise you, you're not. To know that Jesus loves you by name is a pretty remarkable thought. So as he continues... It says, verse 6, it starts with this word, so. In, in the Greek, it's just a short word. It's pronounced un. Now, um, this is, if, if you ever are looking for a Bible, um, there's different passages that I always look at um, based on English translations. There are, there are different ways that, that we translate um, the original um, languages of God's word into um, what we can read. Um, one, I, I, there's certain places I look throughout the Bible to kind of look at an English translation um, for something that I feel like, hey, this is concrete, clear, and valid, and accurate um, based on what I know and what I've studied. Um, one of, the, one of the, the cheap places I look, the, the, one of the quick references is, I always look for an English translation that says either so or therefore right there because it, it, it is, you're going to see in a second, it is so vitally important to not skip that connection. What, he's, what, what the Word of God says here is that Jesus loved them individually, specifically enough and, and out of that love, in connection with that love, because of that love, it says, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews try to stone you and you're going there again? I want to go back to that word, so, that word, therefore, depending on what kind of translation you're, which translation you're reading. It, doesn't it seem odd that, that the result of, of a very specific, caring love of Jesus 
would cause him to do something that is, that is counterintuitive to what we would expect him to do. Out of his love, because he loved them so intimately and so specifically, he didn't go right away. Now, we would translate that as horrible, not caring. But, but notice the connection. Jesus said this wasn't going to end, this sickness was not going to end in Lazarus' death, but so that the glory of God would be seen. In other words, Jesus loved them so much that, that, he, that he chose to not just make them feel better in a moment, but to bring them to a place to where they could love Jesus more and know God more and understand how he works and see all that God was doing and understand what the depth of their relationship was. He, he loved them so much he didn't do what would help them feel better in a moment. He invested in their whole relationship with him. Now, that takes a little bit more grown-up faith. And, and this is why I say it. Um, do you ever, you ever, as a parent, just give in in the moment and just give your kids what it is that they want? Oh, I do. Just to get them things quiet. Right? You ever had that moment where it's just like quiet is a higher priority than whatever it is that you're going to have to deal with later that they want? Like, you just like, you know what, I'm making the trade-off right now. And and in in generation now of parents, you know you know what we're you know, it's it's crazy because the the very thing that we're giving our kids more often than not is is face to face time with a screen. Um, we're 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 gonna pay for it, y'all, um, because they can't occupy their minds. Um, yeah, I say this often to my kids, um, guys. Y'all can ride to Target and not look at a screen. And, and, and spiritually, here's where I'm, and, and I want to just jump straight to the heaviness of life. Here's spiritually where I'm most concerned for my boys. Um, that, that they are so easily entertained that it's their default that they're losing an ability to stop and, and think and, and, and even ponder what God may be speaking to them about in a moment. Um, and, and parents, it's just, we're, we're going to have to figure it out together by the grace of God. Because it's not that the technology is bad. It's just that we have to figure out the right place in our kid's life for it um, in, in light of who Jesus is. Now, if, if, you, if you slide something in front of their face um, in, in certain moments, I'm not saying you're a bad parent because <laughs> guilty. I'm just saying it's, I think we would, all, we would all agree in this. Giving our kids what they want always doesn't raise them to be healthy adults, right? So, and, 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 but, but at the same time, if, if you have anyone that works for you or you're in charge of, giving them what they want in a job and, and making an environment easy and, just, and not enforcing rules and laws is, is, is never um, what really raises healthy people. Well, remember, we, we, we can't fight against the consistency of God um, I believe this is one of the many ways where the Bible is so accurate when it says that we are created in his image. We're image bearers of God. We have the responsibility with our kids to not give them what they want all the time, to raise better adults. We have the responsibility for, for people that we're in authority over to not give them what they want, but, but to hold to the truth and, and, and to hold standards high and, and, and to be able to help them through life. Well, God can't operate by different rules if we're operating out of his image. 
It, it stinks. It honestly stinks in some ways to think that God has the almighty power to do anything, yet in a moment, he may not do what would make me feel better. And if I stop there, if I stop there and just say, well, if you're not going to do, God, what's going to make me feel better, then I'm out. And then we're going to miss out on a lot. And we're not going to understand all that he intends for us. And, and I say that with a little bit of fear. No, not a little bit. A lot of fear because I know that I'm accountable for the message that I preach. And I don't even in my mind say this like I'm saying it to you. I feel like I need to say, I feel like I need to read this verse down there just sitting in a chair just like everybody else is because this is what we all walk through. This idea that Jesus loves us so much that he would stay and he would wait and he would allow so that we will know him better. If we fight it, we'll be bitter and angry. But if we, in, even in a small way, start to just open our heart to it and then allow God to give us the grace to embrace it and it become part of our life, then we'll go to levels of our relationship with Jesus that we've never known before. But we don't, it, it's, it's not really a, well, choose your own path. This is the way that Jesus lays out for us here. Now, his, his disciples, um, it, it's, it's pretty humorous. Because of where they were, they were probably in part of Galilee. Galilee was the region that was home for them. So Jesus is calling them, Jesus is calling them um, to be part of helping someone know him better um, that, that leads them back into danger. Now, if, if Jesus, being God on earth, will, will go back into what looks like a, an incredibly threatening, dangerous moment to be able to bring someone close to him. This is what scripture tells us in truth where we say that, that, that who can stand against him? Not just in his power, but in the, in the pure, um, unaffected bravery of God against anything that we think looks intimidating. Nothing scares him off. You, you think your life or my life is just too messy for God? Nothing intimidates him. He goes straight into what looks like the most dangerous, difficult area gladly for one single purpose. To draw you and me closer to him. Now, I want to skip down to verse 13. Um, Jesus clarifies something here because he, he mentioned um, this, this idea that Lazarus was asleep. Now, um, his disciples interpreted that as, well, maybe his condition's not as serious as it looked. Jesus is like, well, nope, it's as serious as it looks. He clarifies this here. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, Lazarus' death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. But I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. See, see it's, it's universally true. Jesus still, not just for the specific ones he loves, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, not just specifically for them, but he looks at his followers too and says, you know what, I, I'm, I'm, I'm even very glad for you. I'm, I'm joyous for you. I'm happy that I wasn't there because if I was there, you would think that, that I was just going to clean everything up always. But he says, I'm glad for you too because you're going to walk in and you're going to hear it and you're going to see the raw emotions just like I'm going to see them. 
So you're going you're to be more aware of the details that others may miss. And, and just as a, an aside, um, even when Jesus shows up, I think sometimes we make the mistake of looking at this passage and going, you know what, it's really okay because ultimately Jesus did. He showed up and he raised him from the dead. Like he did what we expect Jesus to do. So, so in the end, Jesus must have been able to do this just low-key because his love was going to win at the end of the day. Loving them was not as simple as what we initially think. Because Lazarus was saved under the Old Testament custom. His belief that God was doing something and would do something to Messiah. Messiah specifically now being Jesus meant that, that Lazarus would have died he, he would have been resting at peace, and at, and at the second coming, when Jesus died and was resurrected, he would have been, his, his spirit would have been brought into presence with God, like ours is when we die, and that his body would be resurrected to be perfected in eternity. So in some ways, Lazarus was good. Drawing them closer to him meant Lazarus was now going to have to die twice. Potentially, Mary and Martha would have to lose their brother twice. See how messy it is? I mean, when we really pull ourselves back and go, God, what all are you dealing with? Like, what are the complexities of what you know and see and can do? Jesus knew, draw close to me, and you can literally make it through anything, including death twice. Because for those that believe in Jesus, those that we know were saved, Oftentimes, it's like what A.W. Tozer said, it's not death we fear, it's dying. It's the process. It's the thoughts of loss. It's the thoughts of, of leaving someone behind. It, it's, it's that process. It's not ultimately where we're going to go. It's the dying. And that's what Lazarus would now have to go through twice. Jesus' love for him was so great that he wanted to draw him close, but, but he would never leave him alone through anything. Because you think about it, the second time Lazarus died, he had the Holy Spirit in him. He had a new grace for what he had to face at that point. Um, Jesus does use this asleep language because as believers, um, please know that when we die, the Bible does talk about us being asleep. Um, if, if someone's asleep, they're always meant to what? Wake up. And that's what we're purposed. That's what we're destined for as believers. Now, Skip down to verse 17. Um, it says this, When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus was already, um, he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, here's the Jewish custom. They believed that for three days, for three days, somehow there was hope. Now, this may have started uh, because they, they thought someone had died because they maybe didn't know medically what we may know medically now. Someone had not actually died. They had gone into a coma. They had gone into a condition where um, they didn't look like they were breathing, but they were in fact were. And, and maybe they saw some people come back um, from what they thought was death. But, but their custom believed that for three days following what they called death, that the spirit of the body hovered around the body, was somewhat still attached to the body, and that for three days there was hope, potentially, that that body could come back to life. On day four, hope was dead. They believed at day four, the spirit then was allowed to go to rest in Sheol, this, this place of peaceful rest. So why is it so important that Jesus showed up on the fourth day? Because there was no hope. 
their, their custom couldn't have passed this off any other way, but Jesus had the voice power. Remember in John chapter 5 where he said, there will be a day where I will call out to those that are dead to come alive. Also, what does it tell us? The low-key, sneaky part of this passage that's so good? Jesus came back after three days. What does that tell us? That Jesus never left us without hope. Culturally, they had hope up through three days, and he came back before hope was gone. Jesus never means for our lives to lack hope. That doesn't mean that they, that, that they will lack hope or they won't lack hope. But his, his intention, as we walk faithfully with him, his goal is for us, as he works in us, is, is to bring us to a place to where our lives never lack hope. Now, um, it says that Bethany was near Jerusalem, <clears throat> less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them uh, about their brother. Um, I, if you were here last week or you listened to the sermon last week, um, we talked about how their culture, there were these pictorial speaking moments. If you, if you remember last week's sermon, we talked about just the environment, everything that was going on in the moment that they were hearing. Um, consider what Jesus was walking into. So Jerusalem, huge, incredibly large city, was only two miles. It's actually, when you look at the original Greek, it's probably about a mile and three quarters away from where they were in Bethany. So this is even at this time, this is easy walking distance um, when your custom is, is to go visit people that are grieving. Now, this is what they would do. So while people were grieving, now they, they, at this point they had, they had buried and they had entombed Lazarus. But as people came to visit them, they would have set up anything that could halfway resemble a bench um, in their house and, and just line up everything they could. Because the family, those that were grieving, um, the custom was that they stayed in place and that people just came in the house and, and they didn't talk, um, they didn't really bring food, they weren't Baptists yet. Um, <clears throat> so um, they, they came in, somebody probably at least snuck in a chicken leg or something, I just tell myself. So um, as they're sitting there, they're, they're, they're in the house, and, they're, and their job, they're, they're not there to console. Customarily, they were there at times, and really all you heard was just kind of um, like sighs and moans. So if you ever have, have been in maybe like a funeral service and you just have watched a family as they're going through what they're going through and just in your heart, you just, I mean, and, and just kind of what naturally comes out is just kind of this, it just, you know, you, you, you sigh because your heart's grieved for them. And, and, and even out loud, customarily, because they, they believe, and in, in now the New Testament continues this thought that, that the moans, the groans of our heart, the Holy Spirit takes to God in a perfect way and interprets those. So, so just groans and sighs are what you would hear in the room as this family was sitting there, and, and, and the house would have been wall-to-wall -wall full of people, and, and it's easily accessible for just more extended family and friends to come even from Jerusalem. Um, Bethany was a little bit outside, but it was close enough to, for everybody to pour in. So you can kind of see and feel this scene as, as John is inspired to build it to us. But it says this in verse 20, As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. Now, now that, was, that was really out of order. Um, number one, 
Um, we're still in a Jewish culture where, where women just typically don't go and confront men. But even more than that, it would have been shocking for her to leave the house, get up from her seat where everybody was coming to see her, and go out and do anything. If she needed anything, it would be brought to her. So, so to go see someone, the custom was, you come to me. But you, you see just how the natural soul just goes to Jesus. That's why so many times when we feel like our lives are, 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 are a little messed up, a little bit broken, a little bit something missing, you, you ever feel that inside of you? You just kind of feel that, that, that call, that drawing, you just, you, you just want to go and do, it's feel like you just got to do something. That's just our heart's intuition to go, I, I, I need to move to Jesus. And, and that's what she does. She, she moves to him. Now, she, she says this, he, she, brings her, she brings her hurt, she brings her grief, and Jesus shares in that. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died, yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her, and, and Martha said to him, I know that, will, uh, that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she's already looking forward. Now her belief is fine. There's nothing wrong with her belief. There's nothing wrong with her doctrine. She's solid. She's looking ahead still. These are people that are considered saved by the law. She's looking ahead and going, yep, the last day, resurrection. I'm with you, Jesus. And now this is where he comes in um, with, um, with, with the next I am statement. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I can't fathom. In this moment, what it must be like to be looking at Jesus, God with us, no one, I mean, sharing in emotions and in grief, right? And, and he just cuts through it all and says, it's me. Everything you need, every promise you've ever heard, it's me. And he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Now, here's the crazy thing about these I am statements in John. I don't know if you've been writing, making notes down of some of these I am statements, and I know this is a girly-looking piece of paper, and I don't even care. So this is I am statements in John. Okay, we are at resurrection and life in chapter 11. Now, I want to I I run back through them real quick of what we've done so far and then just kind of throw the last two out that we hadn't got to yet. Check this out. So this is, this is, the, this is the picture of Jesus painted for us in the Gospel of John. This is how Jesus presents himself through John, so that we see him accurately. And remember, I, I talked about, I think, last week about how patient God is with us. Just listen to his patience and how he leads us into a deeper relationship with him. This life is all about growing into a deeper relationship. Don't, don't freak out over where you are or where I am at the moment. Just trust that it gets deeper, it gets better, it gets closer. So he starts with this. That I am the bread of life. This idea that there is, there is this desire inside of us for things, for stuff, for something. Jesus, first of all, approaches us through the Gospel of John with, I am a, I am a, filling, I am a filling, need-meeting Savior. That if you're looking for something, you're convinced that something's missing, you, you can try to find it, but, but I am the fit. I am the filling. And, and not just that he does it once, but it's a continual thing. It, it's, 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 it's truth for the moment, but it's calling us into a, a deeper understanding, a deeper trust to go back to that 
is what fills us up. The second thing he does is, I am the light of the world. Um, he, he paints this idea that, that he is a guiding light. That it's not just what I need at the moment, but, but I'm going to need to go from this moment towards something else. There's going to be additional decisions in my life. It's never just one decision that you or I make. He says that I will, I will give you what you need, but then I'm going to lead you to what is next. So here's the next one. Then he says that I am the door and I am the shepherd. Now, the, um, the bread of life is out of John 6. Uh, the light of the world is out of John 8. Um, the door and the shepherd is out of John 10. Now, he says, I am the door. And in other words, he's, he's now painting the picture of, I'm, I'm not just going to be a resource for you, and I'm not just going to be a guiding light for you, because I just love you, and just everybody gets it. There is an entry point, there is a beginning to receive those things. And he said, I'm the door. I'm the way in. Then he says this, that, that, I, that I'm not just the door of the sheep, but I'm the shepherd. I'm the one who will be patient with you when you frustrate me. And, I, and, and when you don't know, I'll be the one that knows. And I'll lead and I'll help you and I'll, I'll take you at the pace that you can go. It's very relational. And then he comes behind that now with, it's not just a relationship. It's just not just knowing someone. This is the biggest relationship ever. This is eternity. He says, I am the resurrection. He tells, he tells Martha at this moment that what you're hoping for in eternity, that's me. But he's also showing her in just a minute that that's also me right now. The Bible's not lying when he says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If he's the resurrection once, he's the resurrection always. If he's the life one time for one person, he's the life that we all need for all of us. Now, we're going to end with, we haven't got there yet in the Gospel of John, but we're going to end with, he's the way, the truth, the life, which comes back out of the resurrection of the life into relational life. It connects on a different level, a new level. But then finally, he ends it with that I'm the true vine. Um, it pulls back in this idea of what he meant with the bread, but it's, it's relational provision. The deeper we go in John, the more relational each aspect of knowing Jesus gets so he says that I'm the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me even if he dies will live everyone who lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this yes Lord she told him I believe that you are the Messiah the son of God who comes into the world I, I think at this moment she's just kind of confessional belief she doesn't realize what's next she, she doesn't I don't think she can predict what's coming because this hasn't been done yet and, and when, when, I, when, I, when I hear her saying, yes, I believe, I, I hear my own heart when, when, when I really gave my heart to Christ, when I, was, when, when, when I realized that God was calling me to salvation, and, and at different points in my life, I remember this just kind of confessional heart that I would have, this thought process of, yes, Lord. You, you, ever, you know what I'm talking about? When, when, when you hear the truth of God, you know he's, he's speaking to you about something, he's prompting your heart, and you just kind of in agreement are like, okay, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I believe that's who you are. And, and, and it's always amazing that as we grow deeper, what's the sign of this is a relationship? Because out of our belief on one level, then he does something that shows us even more who he is. I want to go to um, verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. 
It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. To me, this is funny, because um, if you think ahead to his resurrection, this is a a tomb with a huge boulder, a stone rolled in front of the door, and heavily guarded. It's almost, to me, in my mind, I feel like I can see Jesus, because he's God. His thoughts are perfect. Um, He's human, so he's got a perfect sense of humor. So uh, to me, in my mind, I see Jesus just walking up going, another rock? Really? Like, I'm going to have to do the, you know what, you, like, there's another one I'm going to deal with. Y'all get this one. I just, I think it's funny. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he has been dead four days. And, and, and really, on a lot of levels, um, you know, death stinks. And I, and I don't just mean the body, but, but that, that's just kind of a summary statement for everything that they're feeling and grieving, it, it just, it's just, it, it's a mountain that they just don't have the energy to climb. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see? Whew. You would see the glory of God. If you think back to the relational talk that's been going on in this interaction, um, it, it, from the very beginning where Jesus said, um, out of my great love for you, Out of Jesus' love for you, there is still more that he is going to show you in your life. If we walk away from him, it seems crazy to think that we're going to see it. But the closer we walk with him, the more he can show us. He says, I I told you, if you believe, you're going to see. He says, so, therefore, that same word, un, uh, they removed the stone. In other words, because they believed, therefore, they moved the stone. Um, as, as just a smile, I, again, I, talk, I mean, chapter 11, it's just, it, like, it's just so much that's just crammed in. I mean, it, it's, it's like the closet at my house and your house that we just shove everything in, or the bedroom, we shove everything in when somebody comes over. It's like we can't get one more thing in there, but we just keep piling it in. It, this is chapter 11. Um, it, if, 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 I, if I believe, I can trust that I'll see, but in believing, there will be something that God will call me to do and, and out of that belief, that's enough reason for me to go do it. So if he says, hey, you need to move this out of the way so I can work, then belief calls me to move whatever it is, an attitude, a tendency, a habit, or whatever, to, to move it out of the way so that he can work. Now, Jesus could have moved it. He could have just said move. He made the rock. He could have moved it. But part of belief is bringing us into the process and giving us something to do. That's love. That's love. That's how you teach. Is, is you don't just tell somebody how to do it. At some point, you got to put it in their hands. And you got to let them do it while you're there beside them. And then, once you're not as close, they can do it on their own. That sounds a whole lot like the Christian walk. Verse 43. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, it's very important. Very important. John chapter 5 is when he started this idea. He's going to continue this all the way into eternity. It's very important that that the gospel is accurate here, and it says it's it's the same order in the Greek. He says Lazarus' name first, then he says come out. Because at the voice of Jesus, at the call of Jesus, the dead in Christ will rise first. Those that remain will go up to meet him, and ultimately he will call everybody into into final judgment. It's very important that he said Lazarus' name first. And he said come out. It would have been like, what, huh? And then Lazarus, oh, man. Like, you would have just heard her loud, oh, man, because that's like, that translates into every language. Because all the dead would have been 
clinically depressed if he started with come out. He started with Lazarus' name first because he has that kind of power. Now, he, bring, he brings Lazarus out. There, there is joy in the presence of people that, that believe in Jesus. But, but everybody connected into this story in John chapter 11 does not believe in Jesus. Now, John chapter 11 um, is, a, is an irony at the end that's so, um, it's funny in a, in a way. Um, it's, it's scary in a way how God is working in this world, how he has control, um, how, how he can communicate, and how he can, um, he can put in front of someone's face the reality of who he is. Um, it shifts gears real suddenly at verse 45 uh, into this group of Pharisees, this religious group. I'm going to start reading verse 47, though. It says, So the chief priest and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, uh, what are we going to do? Since this man is doing many signs, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Duh. That's the point. I mean, that's why Jesus is here. That's why, that's why the gospel of John is written, so that people will believe. He says if we let him keep as if they're in the control. Now remember, this guy has healed someone from miles away, he has, um, he has cured blindness from birth. He has now raised someone from the dead. And they're still talking like they are in control of everything that's going on. If we allow it. Doesn't that sound crazy? All right, but hang on now. Because this is where I hit my, my personal wall. This is one of my personal walls with this passage. I thought the exact same thing. And I probably shouldn't have tricked you like that, but I did trick you. I wanted you to say yes. Because when I read that, I looked at them and I said, that is ridiculous. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit kind of leans. You, you ever get that, like that, that follow-up question when you're reading Scripture, and the Holy Spirit then whispers something in that kind of like smacks you on the head? Uh, he smacks me in the head. Um, he may not smack you in the head, but, but it, it's like the Holy Spirit whispered in. Yeah, that is crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. So what does it look like when you try to lead your own life? What does it look like when you act like you're in control of everything? I was like, man, I, 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 didn't, I didn't really need that. <clears throat> that moment, I'm trying to prepare a sermon here. Well, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God preaches to all of us. Um, verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our, and our, and our nation. Um, see, uh, the, the religious leaders, there's two different words for nation and people. One of them um, is as accurately translated nation, and it just means the country, the, the organization, the, the political structure. Um, these religious leaders were scared that if, that if people really started believing in Jesus, they wouldn't just lose control in their own backyard, that the Romans would come in and they would say, no, you know what, you're not controlling everything, so you're out and we're going to do it our way. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, so again, I mean, it's chapter 11. So um, the custom out of Leviticus that, that God had given them was when somebody became high priest, they were, they were dedicated for life. In other words, when you were called out, you were called out into that position to represent the people for life. It, it, was, it, was a, it was a look into what salvation was, that when we're called into salvation with Jesus, that's a life calling. That never ends. That was, that was the whole purpose of that office, to show us what that was like. Now, 
at this point, it had become um, a political office. So, so they were in place sometimes even just for a year because they really weren't there for the people. See, see Jesus, as a comparison as the, to the high priest, he was there for the people, not the nation, but the people, the lives. So we see here Jesus is compared to Caiaphas. It says, um, you, you know nothing at all. This is Caiaphas speaking. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people, rather than the people that rather than the whole nation perish. So he says this to the other religious leaders. He's like, "Listen, you're looking at this the wrong way." He said, "It is worth it for this guy to lose his life, as compared to us losing everything that we've built." Now, here's the crazy part. And please listen to this part. This is from this is this is saying this this earlier in the same year, the same year that Jesus would 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 lose his life. This was a prophecy that Caiaphas at high priest said. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Now, here's what Caiaphas thought that prophecy meant. He thought it meant this. This guy is going to be, um, he's going to die so that we don't lose control. And he really thought that if, that if Jesus would die, it would give them even more control because there were still Jews that were dispersed. Um, and, and he said, you know what? The more control we get, the more the Jews will come back. We'll be a stronger nation. This is going to be a better political structure. We're going to have more power, more influence in this world. When the crazy thing was, as God allowed him to communicate this message, at every point, it matched the meaning that God had intended for it. That he would die for the nation, but not the political structure. He would die for the people. He would die for each individual life. Remember, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, I love you all individually, specifically. He would die for the people. And that he would gather those scattered. Jesus has already said it. Remember a few chapters back where he says, I have sheep. Well, actually, it's just chapter 10. He said, I have sheep that are not in this fold. I'm gonna, this is part of me getting them as well. At every point, the prophecy of Caiaphas came true, but not the way that he thought. When God allowed those words to come out of his mouth, it didn't happen the way he thought it would happen. But it happened based on the truth that God was working out in this world. God is so powerful. He's so prevalent and at work that he can take what someone means for evil and for selfish reasons and he can take that and turn it and still show people who he is. You know, I get so torn out of frame sometimes when, when I just get frustrated with someone. And it, 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 just, it just bothers you and it just eats you up. You know what I'm talking about? And, and it, it's like you, you just have this feeling like they're just winning. And sometimes I get so off track. I get so much like the Pharisees. When I, when I think I'm in control because I think they're winning, the whole time God's like, you know what? I can spend this any time that I want to for my purpose because he's in control. It allows me to rest and allows me to have peace, but, it, but it's not an easy peace and an easy rest to achieve because it fights against every single thing in our nature to go I need to get this person myself and ultimately at every turn God shows his control 
So that's the things that God had put on my heart from John chapter 11. Um, I know it was, you probably thought, man, this guy really does not lie when he says he has ADHD. It seems like just a lot of different things, a lot of different directions. And, and, and quite honestly, I, I probably could have just, I, I prayed over it. I said, all right, God, yeah, I, can, I can preach for a few weeks just on chapter 11. What would you have us do? And I really felt what he put on my heart was, let, let, let's call attention to all these different details and, and let's all carry John chapter 11 with us and study it ourselves because it's not just, it's not just what I say about it. It's what God reveals to you in it as well. And, and, and I want to I I just kind of symbolically put John chapter 11 in your hands today just to say, let's take this and let's really dig into it and, and, and read it and, and really see what God says to you. If I'm just going off of just what's been, what I feel like God's put on my heart and just thinking through some of those thoughts out of John chapter 11, um, I would tell you to read it for um, read it for the control that God has in this world. Read it for the love that God has specifically for you. Um, read it for how 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 a promise consistently in God's word looks way into the future, but but's good in the moment. It's I mean, take resurrection. Jesus promised that that's who he was, so he looked way out into the future on it. But it also impacted Martha and Mary's life right at that moment. And, 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 and what you think may, may make you feel better, may be more complicated than, than what you think, because I know that's how my life has worked out. So, so, so maybe let's try to step out of what we, we assume is best or what will make us feel better and, and just really sincerely try to say, Jesus, let me just draw close to you. Let me just fall in love with you just a little bit more today. So when I look to you, I'll find joy in you and trust that what you can do is bigger than whatever could come up next. And, 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 and I say all that to say this. This is one of those scary chapters to preach because I don't think anybody in this, in this room wants to be a living example necessarily of one of these parts in John chapter 11. But we got to bravely go into God's word where it calls us to go. And I do believe that, that for you, maybe not all of it, maybe not the whole chapter, maybe one verse Maybe just one verse. Maybe just the part where it said that, that out of belief, move the stone, I tell you to move. Maybe, maybe that was just your, your verse this morning that God intended for you. Um, I, I just know that if he, if he loves us specifically, I believe he does, like he specifically showed us with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, um, I, I believe that, that out of this chapter there is something specific for all of us. Um, I, I, I'd like to be able to just tell you what yours is, and it'd be real easy if I could just call you and you tell me mine. Um, we can have conversations about what you feel like it is, what you see it as, um, and, and, and God will honor that.